The Tuesday Club with Sean, Kyle and Shane. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Tuesday Club with me, Sean Holly, and I got Shane Williams with me. We were off last week, took a bit of a half-term break and, uh, and build up the lockdown, Shane, didn't we? Just have a bit of a rest? Yeah, I think we needed it, didn't we? It's, uh, yeah, even though it's lockdown or whatever you want to call it, it's uh, still busy times. So yeah, reloaded, ready to go. Yeah, another lockdown. Uh, it's quite tough for everybody to take. So podcasts are usually something that helps people take along. Hope everybody's all right down there. We missed last week, but we're back with a vengeance. Kyle is joining us a little bit later on. We've got a very special guest again, as usual. We've got Phil Tulip Davis, the former Namibia head coach and uh, Wales number eight, of course, uh, former Scarlets and Blues. He's going to be joining us later on, talking to us all about World Cup national coach Wales, of course. And so uh, we thought we'd start the podcast this week, Shane, by just having a little sum up of last weekend's international matches. Of course, no Six Nations game for Wales, but a friendly, well, it wasn't that friendly, really, a warm-up out in Paris. And we came unstuck a bit, didn't we, mate? You were commentating on the game. Yeah, there's no such thing as friendlies in these games, uh, only after the final whistle, I suppose. But... Um... Yeah, I was I was commentating. I was uh, I was working the weekend, which is great in a in a in a studio in in London, which is a little bit different. You know, you you like to be at the stadium, don't you? Get the atmosphere, etc. But uh, wasn't to be, so it was a, it was different for me. Um, yeah, it, it was all. It's always going to be a difficult game. France away from home. France, one of the four national teams at the moment, doing really well in the Six Nations uh, with some fantastic individual players. And I thought first minute of the game, God, here we go. It's nice to see a fresh Wales throwing the ball around. Nice little trifle halfpenny in the uh, on the right hand side there in the corner. And I thought, wow, I haven't seen Wales do that for a long, long time. Here we go. <laughs> um, and then it just came unstuck after that, didn't it? Um, it seemed to rejuvenate France. Um, they woke up. They play some excellent rugby. They've got this, you know, typical French flair about them. But now they got this offloading game as well as having powerhouses like Bakatawa and Fiku and these guys that are just incredible and enjoying their rugby at the moment. So, you know, it was a joy to watch at times, the French team, and they're not such a joy watching the Welsh team because they just, I don't know, there was times where they just seemed just disjointed. The breakdown was an absolute mess. I felt sorry for the scrum ass, having to dig all day there. Um, and they just didn't get front foot after that, did they? And um, it was quite disappointing, really. The only Welshman on fire that day was you on commentary, man. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> it sounded to me like you were really enjoying yourself because you came across quite natural. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard then when Wales aren't doing so well. It's a good start. But um, I don't know. It, it, it seems to me we... And this is hard, really, for us to talk about. It's, we we seem to lack a little bit of identity. I mean, Wayne Pivak's only been in charge a couple of games, four or five games, well, at least under Warren Gatlin and Sean Edwards, you sort of, we, we knew what we had. We knew what we got. You know what I mean? Um, it was a solid defence, a physicality, um, good kicking game, kick chase. We, we're a bit in betwixt and between, would you say? Yeah, definite. And um, yeah, I, I was enjoying the game, but that was a lot down to the French, to be honest with you. Some fantastic tries on show and some great players. And that Dupont is some player, isn't he? Oh. Uh, he's Best nines in world rugby at the moment. Um, and Vakatawa was just having a laugh in the first half, I think, with some of those offloads. So 
you know, you, you can't help but enjoy and comment it on those games. But yeah, definitely lost our identity. Um, you know, with Gats, they were on about Warren Ball and it's a boring, you know, defence is boring because we don't allow teams to play. It was winning us Grand Slams and competition and doing really well in World Cups. So we still bloody mourn, do we, with the Welsh? That's what we do. But all of a sudden now, I don't know, we just seem to have lack ideas at times, you know, and sometimes we're shipping the ball back to Dan Biggs just to put the ball in the air. Yeah, we're very good at putting the ball in the air and re- regathering, especially Bigger and Halfpenny, but we were even poorer than that on the weekend. So that game plan's gone. I think we looked a bit clueless outside 12, 13 at times. George North didn't touch a ball till the 57th minute. Even Josh Adams didn't get involved in the game as much as we'd like to. Um, and, you know, how, how are you expected to win games and score lots of tries when that's the case, when your wingers are redundant? And I, I was watching it and I was thinking, you know, I don't know what we're going to do here to get over that French defensive line. And the French's defence was very good. Let's, you know, let's give them credit. And we know why, don't we, Mr Edwards? But it just, it just seemed as if we were a bit clueless at times. And the, the breakdown was an absolute mess. France knew exactly when to target it and hit that ruck and make it difficult for Garth Davis and, and obviously Rhys Webb when he was uh, when he, uh, in the first half. And it was just an absolute nightmare. And I was looking thinking, I don't know how or, or what we have to do to get back in this game. Because we, when France had it, when, when Intermac had it, he runs so hard at that defensive line. He's got Fiku running on the inside. Back a tower running these ridiculous lines on the outside. The wingers were running hard. And you just didn't know who was getting the ball. Yeah. When we I could have told you every time where that ball was going. And it's if I can read it from the sideline now, that defensive line's gonna eat you up all day. So yeah, we we lost an idea, a bit of our identity at the moment. Um, and we need to find it fast because you know, last thing what Wayne Pivak wants now is to lose at home to Scotland. Because they they'll have a go. They really will have a go. Well, I, I'm heading off to uh, to do Scrum 5 tonight. Um, people listening to this on Tuesday uh, will have seen that. And so in the last couple of days, I've had to look back because BBC don't get the footage. You know that, mate, right? The, for these games. So I'm going to have to you know, look ahead to Saturday's game against Scotland without looking back on the French footage for BBC. You know, So that's going to be quite hard. So what I was able to do is look back to the Six Nations game. And I looked at it, the Italy game where we won. And I looked at England where we lost and I looked at France where we lost at home. And it was uncanny, mate, you know, that, you know, there were some dog legs in the defence. I think Reese Webb went up once and he got Reese Carey on the inside, Vakatawa through for the offload. Um, there was another one where Tips went up on, on a bit of a zigzag and they got on inside. Mate, honestly, it was it was like deja vu because they did that to us earlier in the Six Nations, right? I looked at Callum Braley, the scrum after Italy. He burst through and it was like DuPont going through. And then the other one was, you know, um, the last try, obviously a bit of magic from Ted, uh, Teddy Tom at the end, but it wasn't the last try. It was Olivon's try where they bombed the ball up to Josh Adams. Teddy Tom knocked it back and DuPont was there and Olivon went and scored. Well, they scored like that for the first try in Cardiff. So it was almost like deja vu. It was a blueprint. And I just got a feeling now that we were so used to Sean Edwards and uh, that, that there may be some tinkering going on with the defensive system. And you know, mate, that, that even though it's might tink- it might be tinkering, it can cause some disruption, can it? Oh, massively. I think with, with Sean Edwards, what you did have, right, you used to call it organised chaos, which basically meant you just get in their face 
and you make it difficult for the opposition to do anything with that ball, okay? And, you know, and uh, he was usually blitzed, which means, you know, you come up on the outside quicker than you would on the inside. But what that does, it umbrellas you back inside and almost smothers the attack. It doesn't allow you get to get to the wing, what France did to Wales. But, yeah, and, and, but it's organised chaos in the sense as well. You've got to come up with that line quick. The problem is, if you, don't, if you come up with that line quick and the guy in the inside and the outside doesn't come up as quick as you, You've got two gaps there already. And we saw it with Justin Tipperick. Now, Justin Tipperick is used to coming up that line that quick and putting pressure on the, on, on the attack that's come in. The problem is if you, your inside defender doesn't come with you and your outside defender doesn't come with you, you look like a right prat. And it, it did make Tips look like he was out, you know, he was doing the wrong thing. But with Sean Edwards, that would have been the right tactic with the chase inside and outside. You know, real aggressive in your face, not allow them to do anything. So if Fiku does have to step inside, he's running into another red jersey. What Fiku did is he, he, he tipped him on the outside, almost not allowing him to go on the outside, waiting for his inside defender to come. Problem is, he's 10 yards away. Good night, Irene. Fiku goes through. Back of tower, runs a lovely inside line, shoulder pop. No look pass on the on the inside. I think France got three tries without a play being touched. Yeah, I think you're not, right, man. Not being touched. It was like touch rugby at times and, and commentating on it with no atmosphere and no crowd as well. It, it, I was just like, well, what's happened there? Have Wales just stopped playing or is it a try? Or has he been pulled back for something? It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. So, yeah, it's. I think Wales are used to having that Sean Edwards effect where you don't do any mistakes. If you make a mistake, you don't do it again. The problem is Wales have made that mistake in the Six Nations. Dog leg defence, not coming up on the inside. Team scoring lots of tries against them. And they haven't learned, have they? That's, that's the problem. It was, um, it was almost deja vu, some of those tries. And to, and to go under the posts or score tries without being touched just says it, says it all to me, really. So there's a lot of work to do there, really is. And... Um, you know, I wouldn't like to be in that coaching staff this week because Scotland are going to have a go. They're going to have a go. Yeah. And what they is they will score tries. They've got some great attack in that back line and a gutsy pack. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a short turnaround, boys. It is. Well, Scotland dispatched Georgia, as expected. You'd expect Finn Russell to start, so expect some sort of mercurial play. There is a scenario, Shim, where Scotland could win the Six Nations, you see. If, they, if Ireland and France draw... Italy beat England. I know this is hypothetical. And Scotland get a five point against Wales, they'd win the title. But it's not about that, I don't think. Uh, the decider is likely to be in France, France against Ireland. Uh, before we move on to that, just to get a, I'm going back on our WhatsApp group here from your commentary on the weekend. And uh, myself and Julian Lewis Jones were picking up on some of your pearlers. Um, Lee Halfenny in there like a whippet. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh... <laughs> That's the Bill, Bill McLaren in me coming out, that is. Ha! I don't know, I'll have him in George. Yeah, he's a grumpy git. Brilliant. I, yeah. Well, he, he is, is, isn't he? He is. He is. He is. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a commentator, you know. You are, I, mate. I, You're a bloody good one. I love working with you. It's good. We bounce off each other. I wasn't put on this planet to commentate rugby. I was put on this planet maybe to play it, but I enjoy it, you know. I... I I do commentary like like I'm watching the game with you down the pub and and you know I, I'm saying as it is 
And I probably, I do say silly things like that sometimes. And I called Alan Wynn to his face a grumpy git, so I don't mind that. But, um, and, I'm not, and, you know, you know, I'm not having a go. I'm saying that it is coming, it comes across yeah. as natural and you sounded like you were really enjoying it. And I've got to be honest, mate, I, I, you know me, I watch a lot of rugby. I, that's what I enjoy. You know, I, I, I listened to some of the commentary on the weekend. Oh, my God, I had to turn the sound off, you know. And I, and I know it's hard because we do it for a living. But... Um, there's sometimes you've got to add a little bit of natural and a little bit of humour and, and a bit of spontaneity, you know? So, and I, I like to think you and I do that. Uh, one of the games that didn't help was Ireland, Italy. It was like watching paint dry. So it was a tough one to commentate on for somebody. Um, and obviously they dispatched uh, Italy poor again, you know, not looking like getting anything out of the Six Nations. So you've seen France at first hand there, Ireland chugging along. Ireland are in pole position because they've got a points difference over England. They've got one point over England, 14 points. England on 13, France on 13. But they've got a greater points difference now, plus 38. So they could have a, a standard win against France, a four-pointer, not scoring four tries, um, with a decent po- um, points bonus. Uh, and England would still score f- four tries, get a five-pointer, and still not win the Six Nations. How do you see it happening this Saturday? Oh, look, I, yeah, you know, after the both games, you, you see England going and winning that game in Italy, don't you? Certainly, and, uh, and, and, and certainly full bonus points as far as I'm concerned, I think. Yeah, I watched Italy in the weekend. They, they got minutes, they've got a couple of uh, periods in the game where it's just magic to watch, you know, some lovely breaks, great tries, some fancy play, but they just can't do it for 80 minutes, really, and... Um, uh, and, and, and Ireland are always going to grind out the games. You know, they they can win Grand Slams, they can be successful without playing any attractive rugby at all. Um, and and that's what they do. You know, and I'm and, you know I'm not criticising Ireland. That's how they win games. Leinster do it week in week out, and they've done it for the last ten years. You know, so uh, in fairness to them, you never write off the Irish. They could well go to to France and win that game and and score four tries and. But, you know, that France, French team at the moment, to me, are oozing confidence and class. And, uh, I, you know, you, you see France actually winning that game. So it's a big ask from, from, uh, for the Irish, I'd say. England are going to go to Italy and, and steamroller them, I think. So that's the way it's going to go. But, hey, let's, uh, who, who knows? Can you imagine Scotland going on and winning it after, you know, Italy giving England a stuff in? A and stuff in, yeah. But... Well, the worrying thing, mate, the worrying thing is that if France beat Ireland with just a bog-standard win uh, and England do get that bonus point win, then England win the Six Nations. So France really should be targeting a bonus point win. Uh, But even then, you know, they're on roughly the same points difference. So it should be a cracker because France have got to go for it. Ireland are going to clamp down because they're in the pole position. England are going to go out and play as, as much as they can to score as much as they can so I think France Island could be a classic who knows what will happen down at Parker Scarlet the one thing that we can be sure of is Alan Wynne Jones if fit will become the world's most capped ever international player um, just, a, just a word on that mate yeah look you know um, d- d- well deserved isn't it you know for someone to get 149 caps isn't it um it's you know it doesn't happen very often and it won't happen very often. You know you're up there with the likes of Richie McCaw and Alan Wynn. It just shows how, how class a player you have to be. 
not only that, look at the players they are. They are the players that put their body on the line week in, week out. Not only in these games you see them in, but every day in training, twice a day, um, you know, they, they give 100%. And that's probably why they played for so long. You know, they, they, they're tough characters. They don't get injured very often. And I don't want to jinx Alan Wynn now. So, you know, we want to see him go on to bigger, better things because he's got a few years yet. You can grab it. A few years left in him yet. Um, just, you know, one of the best players I played alongside and, and when I played alongside him he wasn't as good as he is now so um, you know what a character and who knows you know we may see him go on to bigger better things and maybe another Lions tour who knows he he could definitely do the business for, for, for Wales for a number of years and definitely do the same for the Lions so um, you know hopefully he's fit ready to go um, and his, his, his neck and, and his head is in one piece after nearly Belarus. Um, yeah, let's see how he is. Yeah, that was a bit naughty. He did look like a grumpy kid at the end of the game, shaking his head. But uh, we're very proud of him. You know, all of us who worked with him, played with him, coached him, and uh, thoroughly deserved. And I was looking down the list on the weekend, and I was looking at the players that are still playing. Because of course, um, oh, who's the number eight uh, from Australia who just retired on the weekend? Not Hooper, the other one. Pocock. Pocock retired. But I was looking at all those that are still playing. And somebody like Michael Hooper is still playing. 92 caps. I'm thinking, that's 50 caps away from Alan Wynn. Even if he play, you know, it's a hell of a lot of caps and he's got a few more to come. I think he'd be a real bonus to have playing or not on that Lions tour. Uh, Listen, before we we get on to our special guest, one team who didn't play very attractive rugby on the weekend was the Barbarians. You went up with them, were you? Um, ah, look, it's, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? You know, a bit, of con- uh, bit controversial, of course. And poor old Rob Shaw, he's taken the full brunt of it, hasn't he? You know, so um, no, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I played for the Barbars and I know exactly what the Barbarians is about. It's about getting the team of some of the best players in the world, you know, taking the stress off playing for your club and country week in, week out. You're having fun in training. Yes, you do socialise and have a beer. Uh, the problem is, is, is this day and age and the pandemic we're going through at the moment doesn't set a, a good example to the young guy, uh, kids out there that are thinking, oh, I can't wait to watch you know, my Barbarians team throw the ball around on Sunday against England. And then to hear in the, in the paper that they've broken the, you know, the, the restriction protocol and the game's off. You know, it's an expensive mistake, isn't it, as well? So... Um, Oh, look, I, you know, it's, it's tough. They shouldn't have done it. They know they shouldn't have done it. We, I don't know the extent of it all, and, and we probably never will. But, uh, yeah, I feel, I feel for the, a couple of the guys because, you know, they would have been looking forward to this match as well, especially someone like Rob Shaw who's just retiring. You know, he gets to put that jersey on as well against his former national team. Um, it is tough. It is tough. But, uh, yeah, they will live and learn from that, won't they? Won't they just, won't they just. Right, Shane, thanks for that. That's our roundup of last weekend's rugby internationals and the ones coming up this weekend. Big weekend of rugby coming up. I'm going to shoot off now to record. Well, I'm actually recording. I'm live on Scrum 5 tonight. And jumping into the hot seat will be Kyle Reese to join Shane and our very special guest, former Scarlet Cardiff Blues lead and Namibia national head coach, Phil Tulip-Davis.
Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thank you there to Sean and Shane who did the roundup of all the games last weekend. Obviously, as Sean said, he's nipped off now to do a live Scrum 5 tonight. So me and Shane will be taking you through the next part of tonight's episode. And we have got a magical special Welsh legend of a, a guest for you tonight. It's the one and only Phil Tulip Davis. How's it going, mate? All right, Kyle. Good to see you both. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> Good to see you, Phil. Yeah, so how, how are you doing, Phil? Obviously, um, as everybody in the world knows, we're having a bit of a, a turbulent time in the world at the minute. What, uh, what's been going on? Are you keeping yourself busy? How's things? Yes, good. Thanks for asking. Yeah, it's been um, been interesting. I got back in Volvo Leeds a little bit, so I've been getting stuck into that project and uh, doing some, you know, like all of our Zoom webinars with on, you know, different leadership uh, uh, and management stuff. So that's been quite interesting. I'm doing a lot of walking, walking a lot, um, uh, exploring and finding places uh, uh, I never knew existed. Actually, to be honest, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been interesting. You look. You looking fit, Phil? Looking yeah. fit, pal. Yeah, I look good. There, do I look good? <laughs> I, I, I was going to ask you. Um, I obviously, I obviously remember you at Leeds some time ago. Um, because obviously at the Ospreys we played you a few times back in the day, where you're the likes of Justin Marshall and Justin Marshall, sorry, Ian Ballshaw, Snyman, even Alex Popham was up, was up there for a bit, isn't it? What's it like to be back? Yeah, it's good actually. Yeah, we had, we had a few Welshmen up there. But actually, we had Popham, Richard Parks, and Scott Walker in the back row in the Power Gen Cup final. So, yeah, it was a great time then. It was a long time ago as well. When, uh, I went back to the club in January time. We were struggling a bit in the championship, and we never really made a lot of progress. You know, the, well, we, we made progress in terms of the boys improved, but it didn't sort of show on the scoreboard, and they got relegated. So, We've got a complete reset now to go back and try and grow where you know we're basically back to where we were twenty uh, odd years ago. So it's an exciting project. A lot of good youngsters and you know an opportunity to rebuild the club. We renamed it Leeds Tykes again because it's for Yorkshire Carnegie for a while. So uh, yeah, we renamed it. So we've got a lot of work to do, but it's good fun. It's exciting, really. Yeah, it's it's probably really encouraging, Phil, when you look at you know the likes of what Bristol have done and, and Exeter now. With their, you know, obviously I haven't always been in the English Premiership top ranks and they've worked hard, they've regained their uh, kind of status and, and look at those teams now. So is that is that your aspirations to get somewhere like that? Oh yeah, we got, we got, you know, we got ambition, obviously, you know, I think, I remember playing, I think my last game of rugby was against Rob Baxter actually, playing in, uh, it was the old Exeter ground, the county ground, I think it was then, the big dog track ground, it was a speedway, one of the two anyway. So they've done brilliantly, and uh, yeah, there's an aspiration. The first thing we've got to do is is reset the club. The club's lost a bit of credibility and respect around the game in England, and we've got to rebuild that really, uh, and and just yeah, put you know put a good coaching model in, good talent ID, governance, and a partnership with people that can take the club forward. So you know, there's a lot of ambition there, and it's just one step at a time, Shane. You know, but it's always. Mm. You know, because Yorkshire's England's biggest rugby playing county and Leeds is quite a, you know, vibrant, affluent city, there's, there's always an opportunity to go uh, to go places. So it's up to us to work hard and try and get the direction right and step by step, you know. Obviously, you, you've been there before and that was a different era, Phil. 
and you know you, you've still been coaching in the modern game today do you think now where the game is at today do you think it'll help um i don't know accelerate uh, a sort of progression with the club or do you think it'll hinder i don't do know it's there's there's certainly a lot, a lot of opportunities the, the city's grown you know tremendously since we were first there you know in the universities it's leeds beckett university we're calling stevens my old fly half pal from flashy he's been director of rugby at leeds beck for 17 years would you believe been there forever calling you got some talented kids there so the facilities and and everything is still there within Hedley has grown Hedley is an unbelievable stadium now compared it was good back in the day but now it's just totally been rebuilt so the facilities are there so the growth you know there's an opportunity to grow rugby wise and commercially so it's just a case of taking it step by step Kyle I don't think we can put a time scale on things at the moment because there's a there's a huge funding gap between where Leeds are now and what's sort of required to win a premiership, you know. So yeah. there and there's resource and there's potential and you know, you can't ask someone that at the start of a project. So then it's how, how long it's gonna take us to to get the show back on the road, so to speak, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, um, we wish you all the best with Leeds, eh, mate? But uh, one thing I really am interested about your career as well is your time with Namibia. Um, first first question, what was that like? You're there for five years. What what was that like going to, you know, it's, well, Af- an African nation, basically, and coming from, you know, Wales and obviously your, your time in England where rugby is one of the biggest sports in this country. What was that like? It was very similar to Flanelli anyway, Phil, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This guy will be like the normal out in Africa. It's a lot bloody warmer than it is now, I can tell you. But (laughs) yeah, there was a a couple of things actually. There was, firstly, um, I I learned a lot about patience because when I remember speaking to Heineken Mayer, he's the Springbok coach, and we. We trained against them before the the last uh, the first uh, the World Cup in England in 2015. He said, "How are you coping with African time?" And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, you know, every so laid back. So if you if you think it takes a couple of days to get something done in Wales, it take a couple of weeks in in uh, in Africa. <laughs> but it's just so laid back. So I really start to learn about patience, you know, because you have to be patient with people." But they're lovely people, brilliant. I learned about beer. The beer there is awesome, all naturally and the German law. So you can get a skin full on a, on a Saturday night and feel pretty lively on a, on a Sunday. Because <laughs> <laughs> a hangover there. So that was, that was pretty good. But no, I'm serious. That's a beautiful country, wonderful country, small country, similar population to Wales. You know, the landscape, you know, the natural. Uh, 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 sort of landscape there, you know, the deserts and all that sort of stuff, the savannas as they call them, the game reserves, all that sort of stuff. It's just amazing. Uh, and, you know, the people are so friendly. Uh, it was just a really interesting experience, mate. Culturally, you've got to, you've got to really, they're lovely people. They say yes, yes, yes to anything you, you suggest. But then the implementation of that is, is something different again. So you'll agree something, but then three weeks later, Still, nothing's happened. So it's it 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 taught me a lot about patience and speaking to people and and also respecting their country because it's their country, not ours, and we were guests. So it's it's a understanding how the culture works and what what uh, you know what the people react to really. So it's a lot about communication. So I learned a lot about communication skills and a lot about patience 
you know, in, 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 in sort of dealing with the people to get the team uh, developed, you know, with a great, great time, great time, great people. Brilliant. Yeah, I remember, I remember seeing, uh, I bumped into uh, a couple of people in on the World Cup, you know, and obviously, you know, maybe you're in the World Cup in Japan. And, it, it, you know, you're always up against it, in fairness, as a nation, aren't you? But you look at the teams you, you've, you've played against in the World Cup and the performances you put in, they were an absolute joy to watch during the World Cup. I've got to be honest, you know, the, the game against New Zealand, where, you know, everyone was giving New Zealand, uh, you know, uh, 100 points in this game. And you just really had a go and got stuck in, didn't you? You must, must be so proud of the character of the boys. Yeah, it was nice of you to say that. Yeah, it was it was good. We had a few Welsh boys with us, as you know. We, we had the chief with us and uh, Dale McIntosh and Jonesy, Mark Jones. Yeah. We, we, when we started, right, we knew that we weren't going to beat New Zealand. I remember the first conversation I had with the Libyans. I said, look, what you, what's your ambition? And they said, oh, we want to win the first game of the World Cup. And I thought, right, well, I didn't know who the draw was. This is going back to the first World Cup quickly, right? And uh, they said, I want to, we want to win the first game at the World Cup. And I said, who are we playing? I said, the, they said, the All Blacks. And I'm like, yeah. Like, I'm all for ambition and things like that. But you know, a... <laughs> So as we went on, we're on to Japan. We realised we weren't going to beat Italy. We weren't going to beat New Zealand. We weren't going to beat South Africa. So we tried to just build in certain performance goals within the game so that the boys could come off and think. Like against Italy, we wanted to score these two tries. We scored three. So against you know South Africa, we wanted to stop their mall. So out of out of the seven malls they had now were 22, we stopped five of them. So that was a moral victory. And against New Zealand, we wanted to keep the ball and we wanted to stay, you know, within within one score, within the first quarter of the game. And to be sort of 10-9 down after 36 minutes was something unbelievable, really. Brilliant. It was brilliant. Well, we played some good rugby and I went in at half time quite excited, but then as I walked in the dressing room, all the boys were on the floor, I guess. <laughs> but we had a go for, you know, it was a bit ugly in the second half of the scoreboard, but we still made them play. And as Steve Anson said, it was the first old school half time team talkie that they gave for quite a number of years. Or the first did that type of old school, what is going on? Yep. Uh, yeah. So I was, it was good. It was good fun. It was brilliant. Great. Something I want to ask Phil uh, on the same subject is obviously you know you hear people talking nowadays in the game about strength and depth and the resources and the pools that countries or nations have to get players. Is rugby becoming popular over there now? And what sort of resources did you have to to take the players? Yeah, um, you know. In Namibia, the rugby is popular. I remember going on tour with Wales there and playing at the stadium in 93, I think it was. We toured Namibia and Zimbabwe. It's bizarre going back all those years later to coach there. But when we played there, the, the place was packed with 18,000 people there. So Namibia used to be southwest Africa, you know, and they 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 played the Lions there. So there's a rich history within within Namibian rugby, you know. They played in South Africa for years. They played in the Curry Cup and all that stuff. It's a popular sport, but it's it's such a it's a small country. It's an independent since 1990, I think it is. So there's not it's not a massive population. The funding is not great for all sports, you know, athletics, cricket. They're good at cricket, pretty good at cricket. Love football. Uh, so there is a passion for sport, but the numbers are restricted because of the size of the country, you know. Yeah. 
very popular. Rugby is very, very popular there. You know, they think, you know, they think they can be the world champions. It's lovely to see the enthusiasm for the game, but it's in small pockets of the country because, you know, the country's so big. You know, you go anywhere outside of the capital and you've got to go about 400, 500 kilometres to get anywhere to sort of, you know, into another town the size of Cardiff or Swansea, for example, you know. <laughs> so it's a great country, sporting country. It's just limited in resources. But World Rugby were brilliant to us. We had a great four years where we put like a business plan in place and then we go in and present that and then they give us money in relation to... Uh, the, the, you know the the depth or the type of plan we had, and then we had to keep delivering it. Then and they come back every quarter. It's like a business plan. They come back every quarter to make sure we're spending the money where we said we'd spend it. You know, so the the support was great, but we could have just done with a bit more of it. You know, that's just the reality of the situation. There, really. Yeah. Spent uh, obviously spent a lot of time over there. Any uh, aspirations to get out there next year for the uh, for the Lions tour? Was that a silly question? Oh, silly question. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be paddling a boat if I, if I had a chance. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there's, there's a couple of things that I should have been doing for World Rugby this year, uh, and some were in parts of Africa, still in Boston, Cape Town in particular. So uh, it may be put off until next year. I'm hoping so I can get out there with the Lions and watch, uh, a, a watch a few test matches. But it's a great country, man. As you know yourself, you've been over there. Yeah. And things. It's, it's just an amazing opportunity to get into Namibia, but also then to get into South Africa and see how the Super Rugby teams work, see how the Curry Cup worked, and the schools there. There's some amazing schools. They got, you know, there's one school in Stellenbosch with 16 rugby coaches. You know, they got 16 teams, 16 teams there. They got a coach there for each team, assistant coaches, uh, you know, heads of rugby. It's just incredible, amazing, amazing. I've always a lot of my friends have um, been an actor when we were in drama college and that. Some people that I'd started school with weren't. It wasn't like you know when you go from primary school to comprehensive school, you're all the same age. We went to university and like some of the people in my year had um, had loads of life experience. One of them was uh, a copper and he was I was eighteen at the time and he was thirty. So. Um, and I remember him telling me that he went to Cape Town and South Africa and he had no interest in rugby at all before that. And he went there to um, to do like charity work and that for, as you said, like schools and stuff like that. And um, he said he went to see uh, his first game of rugby, not um, super rugby as it was then, I think, um, but just like a local game. And he said that they were so passionate about it and it was just like a local school game and he said I've never seen such big kids hitting lumps out of each other and like he had not no not ex, no experience with rugby at all but he said it was a beautiful place and I remember watching or Shane was playing the last uh in 2000 2009 was it 2009 last Lions store in South Africa Lions, yes. yeah, yeah. and um I just remember you know when you watch all the VTs and you see all the fans out there and the Lions tour is definitely is gonna it's on the bucket list for me, especially being a, a big mad taff as Sean and Shane are calling me. But um I've heard it's such a beautiful place. I'd I'd love to go. Yeah, I know it was well it's a school, right? It's a school game. Peter Rousseau, I don't know if you remember Peter playing, but he was yeah, a, yeah. he coached me in the two thousand fifteen World Cup. And he coaches at a school called Pal Gym where Cobus Visa loads of spring box went. 
and Paul Jim played Paul uh, High uh, or Paul Boys, right, in a schoolboy match. They get 25,000 people watching. So we're record for a schoolboy match. Just incredible. The, the, well, a lot of countries got passion for rugby, but for those guys out there, it's all different levels. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, even some of the Curry Cup games we were playing with in Namibia, we'd get, you know, 10,000 people watching. Uh, you know, in certain parts of, of, of South Africa. So, yeah, incredible, really. I remember being in primary school once and we had this boy come, uh, he, he wasn't there long. I think his dad was in the army and he was from South Africa. Tegan Price, his name was. And he was four years younger than us and he was playing in our team with the rugby. Like, he was massive. And so I totally agree with you when they, when they born a different level when they go into that game in South Africa. Well, you know, I'm not the small group, but I remember going down to a place called Swack of Mund. It's like it's like going down to Tembe or Pembroke, you know, uh, you know, woman. You're down the corner, right? It's the coastline of Nimbabwe. Uh, and I went down and we did a um, uh, with and breweries, right? I got to know the MD of that place quite well over the years. And Bucky Botter and uh, Victor Matthew, we did like with a guy called Fox van der Linden. We did like uh, like a scrum fight, Shane, on uh, on a, on three set three chairs. On a stage, you know, and I, I when I looked at the photographs after, I didn't realise how big those guys were. You know, they are absolute mm. players. They played against some shit. They're huge, yeah, yeah. Fellas, you know, and uh, and they are they're massive blokes. The only thing I wished in Namibia, we never had really big blokes. You know, like you look at South Africa, you think our oh, neighbours, we get massive guys, but we struggle to get really big fellas. We never really found the the big you know the big Namibians lots of them are up north the big black fellas you know we never really got up that far for lots of reasons you know geography was one and and you know and finance was another but there are some big fellas up there they tell me but unfortunately we didn't see many of them <laughs> yeah. hey, they were all they were all big to me fella I tell you what I remember <laughs> I was playing South Africa uh, 2010, I think it was, and Bucky's both hit, hit me from behind. I was a bit cocky. I sidestepped him, I ran past him, and I was going the opposite direction. I slowed down to do another step off my left, and he hit me from behind. Clean tackle, believe it or not, for Bucky's both. It was clean. <laughs> and I had about 45 minutes left of that game. I don't remember a second of it. Didn't knock me out, but I don't yeah. think he knocked me out, did me? I've looked back at the footage. I'm not out cold. <laughs> but he hit me so hard, I didn't know where I was for 45 minutes, and even after the game, you know, you have a beer with everyone, and I remember I'm just sitting there thinking, "Have I just played a rugby game?" I just couldn't remember. You know, they, oh, they were big men, all right, that's for sure. But I think I'm much bigger and harder than Bucky's both. I think yeah, he would have been Andy in the Namibian team, wouldn't he? There's a guy, right? Uh, he played for France on Saturday. Is it Paul Willemsen? Yeah. He's an Namibian, you see. He's, I try to get his brother to come to his brother. His brother, the guy in France, his brother was playing in South Africa. So we try to get him to come to, uh, to the World Cup because he's a massive bloke. You know, yeah. we, we played the weekend with him. So he's massive. But he's in Namibia. He has obviously been in France for, for X amount of years. But there's another guy, Anton Bresler. Do you know him playing at Worcester? He's in Namibia. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there are a few big guys around, but it's getting them. It's getting a play for the uh, play for the national team, you know. But uh, yeah, there's some big men over there. Full stop. I think that uh, Bathy Bucky's Botha was uh, the last of the brutal rugby players. I think in it since since then, and I'll never ever forget when I can't remember who he was. I think was it Richie McCaw, and he's gone over the back of him, and they both sliding on the floor, and he's just done that. 
Boosh onto oh, the back Jimmy, of his that's head. Po- that's, that's poor Jimmy Cohen, that is. Was it? And he's a scrum, he was a scrum half, yeah. yeah. <sighs> that was, and he was it, just like, what are you doing? There's cameras all it, over the stadium. Like. And, and, you know, yeah, we won't see another back he's both there because he wouldn't have been able to stay on the field, would he? Let's no, be honest. No. With the TMOs and everything now, but um, one of a kind, last of his kind, I, I think I'd, I'd I'd like to say, even though he was a good player. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, is up there with a stature, but uh, he's, uh, maybe he's not so free and easy with his elbows. But there we are. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned there the the the, the France game. Uh, did you watch the game on Saturday, Phil? I did. I did. Yeah, I did. I watched a few games of rugby. I think and Wales was one of them, obviously. But yeah, yeah, it was the last one I watched. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I thought we the, in the beginning when Penn scored in a corner. I thought, oh, flipping heck, we, you know, we had a great start. I mean. But then uh, it was a bit inconsistent after that. We never could, I don't know, we never seemed to be able to sustain anything for any great lengths of time to get the goals. And Daniel, you know, missed those. He didn't miss kicks like that big very often. No. Didn't come, uh, for him, you know, and they'd taken Lee off as well. So, yeah, it was a bit, you know, then a goal, but it's just a little bit disappointing in the end. What, one thing that was frustrating for me is that, the, and, and I'm not one of these fans now, because obviously our angle on this podcast, Phil, is I'm the fan, Shane's the player, the ex-pro, and Sean's the coach. So I, I, I normally say things that, you know, Shane and Sean and yourself and all the other rugby pros and be like, what the hell is he talking about? But, you know, I'm a fan, so I don't mind that. But for me, I thought that, and it's not one of those things where I go, oh, it was the ref's fault. Not at all. But France were really, really disrupting in the breakdowns, and they were going passed the ball quite a lot and the ref didn't dis- uh, discipline them didn't penalize them for it so that was one thing that was frustrating for me about that game but as you said Wales were really inconsistent and I did that uh, schoolboy error as soon as Wales scored that try in the first minute and a half I was straight on Twitter Wales and posting all the flags and then 20 minutes later it was just you know didn't look like we were going to score again so um, but yeah the, yeah, the breakdown for me though was one of the areas in where I thought we lost the match. I, I thought, you know, France were very clever in the sense that yeah, they did disrupt the breakdown. They hit it as hard as they could at times, and then other times they were just very clever and just let it alone and fanned out. They were very clever in how they defended the breakdowns. Yeah, it was messy at times, and you know, Aldrich got penalised a couple of times, didn't he? And but they were very clever in how they did it, even when. They were in the way or they were coming offside. They were kind of going to the ref. Oh, I'm really sorry. I'll move out the way now. But the damage had been done. Whereas France, uh, Wales, sorry, I thought were were quite weak in that area. Especially when Gareth Davis came on. He had to dig and scrap and fight for that ball tooth and nail, you know, and on the on the back foot. And uh, I, th- I thought France done it very cleverly. That is, that, that to me is Sean Edwards' influence, you know. Know when to attack a ruck and know when to leave it alone when it's dead and buried. And, 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 I agree with Phil. I watched it. I was commentating on it in the first minute. I thought, wow, look at the intensity and the pace and the speed wheels are playing here. This tempo is fantastic. Problem was, we didn't see it for another 79 minutes. It <laughs> flipped and France did it instead. So, yeah, I think France just boxed clever, didn't they? They boxed far cleverer than we did. And we've got a lot to learn in a short space of time because Scotland aren't going to be a pushover. You know, they'll, they'll have a go at this Welsh defence because... Unfortunately, we've got a few cracks there. I don't know if you agree, Phil. Yeah, with, with the breakdown, Shane, I agree with you. What, where, 
where we lost a little bit, I thought, was our ball carrying as well. We didn't, you know, we didn't, I don't know whether we used enough footwork, you know, we didn't. If, if where France are clever, as you say, if Wales were carrying, if they did get a momentum carrying, then the support, the height and the speed of the support was there. They left it alone, as you say. But when we were losing, you know, the initial collision in the ball carry, and then our support players were slow or they weren't, you know, they weren't low enough. The body height wasn't right, or the speed to the to the ball carry wasn't right. They were they were they were contesting a breakdown. Yeah, that's what caused us, you know, caused us mayhem, you know. Uh, and and as well in the first half, I remember they went down the left side with Josh Adams had a great momentum clean, and uh, Reese Webb got the ball. And came started running towards you know the first and second fillers in defence and hit this carry and it went off his shoulder and then all of a sudden France France had done the other end the Dupont was scoring his first try so there were times like that where we were giving tries away as well scores away which were a little bit uncharacteristic for us because it wasn't a di- you know it wasn't a difficult score you know there was a line bang and they were gone and they were scoring you know uh, yeah. where. The day we should, you know, when if Wales got line breaks against us, we would shut it down pretty, pretty, pretty effectively. So, yeah, the breakdown was where it all stemmed, I think. And, and France very intelligent in managing uh, when to go, when to try and pressure the the, the ruck, and when to leave it alone, as you say. You know, when yeah. I was talking with Scotland as well, they were quite physical and effective around those around the ruck area, the close quarters, a pick and go and. You know, and, and getting yardage there as well. So we're going to be challenged again this week at the breakdown, I think. With the Scots, the way if last week's uh, game is ending in a goal by against Georgia. You know. It's, I, I feel like it's quite lucky. Well, not lucky because, you know, this pandemic hasn't been really good for anyone. But, you know, Scotland had uh, tails up, didn't they, when the Six Nations started? You know, they, they, I think the last game, they just beat France, didn't they? And uh, they beat Italy. So Scotland, for me, the last sort of 10 years, we've always gone into it with that confidence we're going to win, um, even if, you know, Shane's got to score two magic tries in two minutes to beat them in Cardiff under the post. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, but going on to next week, do you think we're going to see some big changes, Phil, in the squad or after the performances that, that were put in? I, uh, yeah, I, I think we need continuity. Uh, more than changes, kind of be honest. I think, you know, one of the things I sort of from experience, and a lot of people will say this, and Shane will know this because he's played long enough and he's been around quality coaches, but I think it's an national rugby is about selection and then, you know, then it's about, you know, the way you play or a style of rugby you play and trying to embed that in. And that's going to be, I think, important for us. So I think the continuity element of the of the of the team is is important. I think this week for me anyway. It's like the back three, for example. Like George North's a brilliant, been a brilliant player and still is a brilliant player, but I don't know if he's in form. And I would have tried other you've got Josh Adams is in good form with a half penny, who's arguably the best communicative and defensive full back in the world. And and you put the young the young fella with those two. Uh, you know, you can bring Liam Williams back into it as well, obviously. But for me, it would be continuity, trying to get the combinations right, but trying to retain as much continuity within that as possible so that we can, you know, we can go against the Scots. Because the Scots will always give you chances because of the way they play. But at the moment, Wales will give you chances as well. And we were playing. <laughs> yeah. Or, arguably, you know, but... Yeah, so I, I think continuity is very important for, for this week. And for getting the... You know, getting the combinations within that uh, uh, right, you know, 
uh, that's 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 crucial for me. I think this coming weekend, uh, so we can keep building momentum. You know. Yeah, do you, do you, for, for Wayne now, for Wayne obviously Wayne Pivak, it's 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 difficult, isn't it? Obviously, he's he's come, he's coached now on the back of someone like Warren Gatland and his success. He's coaching in Wales, which means he's already up against it anyway. Whether you're winning or losing, you're up against it in Wales as well. It's time for him, but surely now he just needs to get that victory, doesn't he? You know, it's I know it's all about performance and everything, and he's he wants to bring his own style and stamp on on the way they played. And they do at times. They do play differently to Warren Gatland. But surely Saturday is just all about winning, isn't it? Even if it's three 0 Yeah, it's, it's, we've got to win because it's obviously it's the you know it's the, it's the Six Nations and you know it's 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 Scotland at home. So I'm coming off the back of some of the previous performances, this is you know very important, obviously, to get the result for Six Nations. But if you look at the last four or five games, it's important to get that win. Uh, and if we, it does, as you quite rightly say, Shane, it doesn't matter in some ways what it looks like as long as we get the W type of thing. But I think we got more chance of doing that if we retain, you know, if we get continuity in 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 the selection. You know, if there are a few, like I think Liam Williams is available, isn't he? Is Ross Moriarty back fit? So there may be some experienced campaigners that can come in, and you know, if Moriarty comes in at six and he put Liam maybe on the wing, I don't know, uh, you know, but we have got. A couple of experienced boys to come in, but I would like to see as much continuity as possible. Because the second game round, you know, we'd be better than you know we'd be better than we were in in, in Paris, obviously. Uh, so yeah, I hope we can win, and it is important for winning as well. Because to be fair to him, and Stephen, as you mentioned in some of the columns he writes, you know, Stephen's a, a brilliant rugby. You know, he's got brilliant rugby intellect, and he understands the game. You know, uh, yeah. and. It'd be good for all the coaches to get a good result, and that's a feel-good factor. And then they can pick the bones out of the first two games, and then build throughout the next nation cup. Then you know. Talking about uh, Stephen Jones, there. This is just a silly fan anecdote. I was um, I had to drive my fiance to work a couple of weeks ago because she'd had one too many the night before. And um, I was just there driving along the M4 towards Trostra. That's where she works, and. As sometimes when you're driving, you look, somebody's overtaken you and you look and lo and behold, Stephen Jones has t- overtaken me uh, in his car. So I'm the mad fan and I start waving and I think he just goes, oh, that's just some weird uh, person who knows who I am. So anyway, I overtake him and uh, I thought, right, I won't bother him anymore. Uh, I carry on going. He follows me all the way to Tlenetli. And at the back of my fiance's car, when she first got the car, I stuck... Uh, we support Welsh Rugby WRU sticker in the back. It's quite big. So he must have seen that because as he came back past me, he started giving me all this and waving back at me. It made my day. That did. That's, that's my claim to fame with Stephen Jones. I know you both know him very well. But um, but yeah, I don't know if he listens to this, but if you do, thanks for waving to me, mate. Uh, right, Phil, we, we're coming to the end now of, uh, of our time with you tonight. We've got a few minutes left. So we've done all the rugby chat. We really appreciate you coming on. But I'm going to ask you some questions now that... Perhaps you got, don't get asked much in interviews and on other podcasts and this, that and the other. So me being the actor in our little trio on the podcast, um, we ask all the actory TV and film questions. So the first question I want to ask you is, have you been watching anything this year whilst you've been in lockdown other than when you walk in? What sort of things you've been into this year? Oh, yeah, this conversation, we've watched uh, a couple of Ozarks, Netflix, Ozark, the Ozarks. Yeah, brilliant, love that. Jason Bateman. 
Sunny Laundry lived at. Homeland, I think. My wife and I, I think the last, I think there was seven series of, yeah, seven series of Homeland in the last uh, couple of months, which was really good. You know, all about the CIA and all that sort of business. Yeah. There's a film at the moment called Timeless. I said it's the Sean. Have you seen that one? It's on Netflix. No. It's about, it's about, it's about time travel. Uh, and it's about the CIA and all that sort of business. Timeless, that's pretty cool. There's another really good show out there about time travel. It's called Outlander. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, mate, have you? <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that one in there. He, he, he generally asks these questions so that you can say that you know who he is and that he's in films and Outlander. So hey, just go with it. Phil thanks. follows me on Twitter and I follow him back, so we know each other. I don't worry about it. <laughs> the next question I got for you, mate, is you have got three films that you can watch for the rest of your life, and they are the only three films you can ever watch. What are they from number three down to number one? Um. Uh, any given Sunday is off the top of the head no Al Pacino I like that because it's about sport yeah brilliant film it was awesome I don't know if you've seen it Jane, called The Edge it is a film but it's, it was uh, more of a sports documentary film but the Australian cricket team awesome oh, is, that the, is that the new one good. is that the new one that's on Amazon Prime <laughs> Yeah, that's the one, man. Yeah. yeah, that's the one Holly keeps on mentioning in every single episode we do, uh, Shane. Okay, okay. I've got to watch it, haven't I? Yeah, you Otherwise, are. I could have just blagged that and said, yes, I've seen it. So, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll watch it next time. <laughs> Our number one, right, has got to be, right, <laughs> I've watched it so many times, the lead voice had to kill me back in the day if I put it on again, Zulu. Oh, oh what, what a, a film. <laughs> Class film. You, have you seen that film, Shane? I, I, I've seen it, yeah, but I, I think I wanted to kill you as well, Phil, if you'd have put Zulu on. It's about 12 hours long, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> ah, geez. Those, are, those are for the, uh, the bus rides down to Swansea, is it, from Leeds? Brilliant. But one of the... One with... Um, oh, perfect. What was that one with Reese and Van? The, the one he did about... What was it? Twin Town. Twin Town, yeah. Man. We um Lynn Jones used to do the same as well and he'd put it on on the way up to and we used to drive to Scotland back in the day, right? So you can imagine how many times this would have been played. And in the end, he'd be pausing it with all the old, uh, like the, uh, you know, where, what's his name? Fatty Lewis would say, you know, oh, die, here I go, and all that. And <laughs> what, what was the Brink Cartwright? <laughs> you effing, well, I can't say it on this, obviously. <laughs> and he'd pause it all the way up to like Edinburgh and all the way back down. In the end, the boys were just like, Jesus, can't take any more of this. What a great film. Oh, Brilliant. Oh, great. Lynn Jones, what am I? Yeah, he came in a bit. Yeah. See, Linda, Linda, the yeah. stint out there with the Cup. Tell you what, he's a, he, well, you know, Shane, he's the top coach, mate. He's flipping. I loved working with him. He's comical as hell. Apart from his humor, he's a flipping, understands the game. Top man. Oh, yes, yes. Brilliant. Right. We, we've we got, I think we've got less than a minute left now, boys. Phil, 
I just want to say thank you so much for coming on with me and Shane tonight. Uh, Sean, uh, I know you spoke to him today, uh, sends his regards that he couldn't be here tonight. Uh, but I think it went quite well. So um, I, I, was really, I was really nervous, wasn't I, Shane? <laughs> <laughs> You've done well, boy. You've done well. You've done well. You've done well. Listen, thank, thank you very much, Phil. Uh, we wish you all the best in Leeds, mate. And uh, hopefully you stay safe now throughout lockdown. Get them steps in. And uh, we'll get it. We'll get it on that keto bandwagon, man. Right, thank you, Phil. Good afternoon, right? God bless. Thank you, Phil. Tada, man.